I just hope that your confession next episode, Megan, is that you played cats and soup. <laughs> is it cats and soup or is it cat soup? No. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of Montessori Moms. Our guest is going to wrap it up for us. We can't even do it. You do. You take over, Melissa. Cat soup. This episode is brought to you by cat soup and emotional breakdowns in minivans. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Hi, and welcome back to Montessori Moms in the Wild. I am Laura, mother of one, and I have my Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, ages 6 through 12. I am joined tonight by Megan, mother of two, with her training in lower elementary, ages 6 through 9. Tonight, Rachel will not be with us, and although we miss her dearly, we have a third voice joining us in the form of one of my best friends in the whole world and the person who actually introduced me to Montessori, Melissa Newbeck. I'll let Melissa cover her own credentials when we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. But first, let's do a little sharing. Megan, what's going on? How's your week been? I can't even... I'm trying to like categorize all the things that I have been thinking about talking about in this update. But the biggest one is I got a new car that oh, I bought... Yeah by myself. I've never bought a car by myself before. It was so scary. Um, <laughs> I felt like such a grown up. like this is, I've reached peak adulthood right now. Um, but what makes it more of me entering adulthood is it's a minivan. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I feel like having children like kind of made me a mom, but like having a minivan really makes me a mom. Like that's what actually made me a mom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. The like insane, like 15 days of labor combined and the entire rest of the sleepless nights for the last two years straight had very little to do it's with like you achieving of, mom status. It made me a mom, but now I just like pulling up in the minivan. That's mom status. And I know the 18 year old me would be like, Oh. mortified yeah just <laughs> yeah. disgusted so so upset with myself but 31 year old me is pumped it's like pumping <laughs> taylor swift and encanto up in that piece yes, yes, yes minivan yes. So, i you've been talking about this minivan for how long before you went to california yeah 
No, I've been talking about this minivan before I had children. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of my good friends, Madeline, she listens to this podcast. Shout out to Madeline. Hey, girl. Hi, Madeline. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> um, but it, like, she found out she was pregnant. She had twins. So my husband and I went with her and her husband to go look at minivans because she was about to have twins. And she decided that she was too cool for the minivan, just like could not do it. Um, but I got in one of those puppies and I was like, this is nice. <laughs> one of those bad boys. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is, this is pretty, this is luxury. So, um, I decided then, so that was about four years ago. And even <laughs> after I had my son, I let, I, you know, birthed him and that wasn't fun and it was kind of hard. And then I handed him to my husband and we hadn't at that point decided what to name him and looking at him holding this beautiful baby boy and it's his first son and he's just crying and he's like, what should we name him? And I decided to allow him to name him the name he wanted. And he was like, I, you just gave me this baby and you let me name him. I can never repay you. What, what can I do for you? And I was like, <laughs> in the labor delivery room and I was like, I want a minivan. And he's like, you got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I could have asked for the world and I asked for a yeah. minivan. So yeah. That's, that's a neat story. That's a beautiful story, Megan. It brings <laughs> tears to my eyes. It truly does. Um, so what have you been up to? Well, I guess, you know, same old, same old. But actually, a big, a big, big, big highlight for me was that last Saturday, I spent the day with my BFF, your daughter. <laughs> I don't know if I'm using them. You're looking at me like, who did you see like, on Saturday? I spent the whole day with my baby girl and your baby girl, my two baby girls. And it was the best. It was just like so freaking cute. And they're so stinking sweet and silly and weird and independent. And and she's been asking for you all week. She keeps saying, Auntie Loda, Auntie Loda. Loda, Loda. <laughs> um, I love that. I love how children say my name. The L and the R, like so hard. The best one I ever got, actually, Melissa, you were there in the moment of the best one I ever got was when I had a friend back in Boston who had a toddler and he brought her to work one day and they were hanging in the break room. And I was chatting with her and I went to leave and he goes, okay, say, I love you, Laura. And she goes, I love you, Warla. And I was like, Warla. Warla. That is my name. That is my new given name. Warla. Um, anyway, super cute. Just had a great day hanging out with her. And that was a big highlight. And also because I survived it. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you going into it. I had, you know, all the confidence in the world on the surface, but there was a small bit underneath that was like, you are so freaking tired. Like, what are you doing pretending like you have twin toddlers for a day? You think you have the like energy and just like brain cells for this? But it went beautifully Two just perfect little Montessori kids. Like they're very independent. They were playing with each other. They're doing their own thing. And I was just kind of chilling and observing and it was awesome. So thanks for that. Thanks for sharing her with I me. I wasn't worried, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I just had to get that off my chest. But, um, all right. I think that's a, that's a sufficient sharing. So let's move on to the topic of the day. 
It's our first ever guest, guys. We have a guest on our episode, and her name is Melissa. Melissa, am I using your full name? Is that okay? Can I put your government out there? You you already did. So oh gosh, I I blacked out. I don't even know how I got here, but I see that you are here, and Megan is here, and that's freaking cool because these are two ladies that I love so much, and I am really looking forward to having a chat with them. So Melissa, like I said, is a long time best friend of mine. And also the reason that I know about Montessori. So instead of me telling her story and why I felt like she would be like a kind of logical guest to start with, why don't you tell us, Melissa, you are self-proclaimed lifelong Montessorian. So what do you mean by that? Let's start there. Can I just first... I feel like it's the right thing to do to thank you for being here. That's what all guests always do. Oh, thank you for having me. Good point. Good guest etiquette, Melissa. Thank you. That is. This makes us sound way more legit. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Uh, I also just want to say that I was going to maybe save this as my confession for later. I do get to have a confession, right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. But then I thought it was kind of lame, but I'm just going to share it now. And I just feel a little like an imposter because I'm not a Montessori mom in the wild. So I guess I'm just like, in the wild just a Montessorian in the wild that's fine I just had to get that out there and uh, I felt your story about the minivan was very relatable Megan uh, (laughs) even not being a mom and I just have to share that like a month ago we had to rent a car me and my husband and it was like $12 cheaper to do like a surprise vehicle They just give you a surprise vehicle at the counter. We're like, that sounds good. So we did that and it was a minivan and it drove really nicely. So surprise, surprise, (laughs) you love a minivan. Surprise, you get to ride around in luxury. Congratulations to you. It was worth it. Okay. So I don't know how good my guest etiquette was that I tangented so soon, but (laughs) here we go. Pretty par for the course, uh, (laughs) Melissa. (laughs) So you almost just called me the wrong friend. That's fine. <laughs> so my host etiquette just skyrocketed. Skyrocketed just then. Calling the guest the wrong name, <laughs> insulting her a little bit while doing so. Like, what is even? Why did you even come here today? I'm so sorry. All right, Melissa, lifelong Montessorian. What does that mean? Why do you say that? <laughs> It means that, so my mom was a Montessori teacher in children's house, or I always knew it as primary before I actually went and got my children's house training, which is the three to six age range. And uh, my mom was a Montessori teacher for 28-ish years, I want to say total. And I started attending really We like to say I started attending when I was in her belly because she was already teaching when I was not yet actually born. And then I started attending the school as an infant and went through the toddler, children's house, lower elementary, which at our school we called junior, junior classroom, junior one. And then nine to 12 upper elementary was junior two. We were very creative. This is why I can never remember how long you were at in a Montessori school for because you called it junior one and junior two. I like have no reference for that. So I was like, I don't know what that means. As she was there for, I'm pretty sure past children's house, but I can't remember how long. So were you there through upper elementary years yeah. as well? Yep. Yep. I graduated uh, 12 years old and went into seventh grade in the public school system after that. And then, I mean, when I was at the school, 
I so often I would be told, you're going to be just like your mom. You're going to be a teacher. And I'd be like, nah, no one wants to hear that. I do whatever I want. Right. You're not going to tell me what I'm going to do. And then a uh, fast forward, gosh, so it would have been 2011. And so I grew up in Boston, which is where Laura and I met. And I was just kind of seeking change. And my mom had moved to Florida to help start a Montessori school there. So she had already been there two years. And I just thought, I want to do something different. I'm going to move down there. She needed an assistant. And I was like, I'm just going to get my Montessori training. And so I did. And then I only worked in the classroom for one year. Uh, I really did enjoy it. And I'm super grateful I got to spend her, it was her last year officially teaching that I got to intern with her. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I got to learn from, I might be biased, but learn from the best. I mean, she was just magical in the classroom. Like, No, mama is magical, period. You did learn from the best. I love that lady. Yeah, she's great. So she, uh, she taught me much of what I know, but definitely in practice. And then as you know, Laura, I just, I'm not great at sticking to one thing all the time. So after I did one year, I decided I really enjoyed that. Well, my training was one year and then I did one year in the classroom and I just decided that it was something that would be great to have under my belt. And if I grew a family eventually one day, of course, my children, I would use it with my children. And then I nannied for a bit. And I, so I feel like I still use it all the time, but I'm not practicing in the classroom and haven't for many years now. Uh, but actually it's amazing how often it comes up. I guess I should say I have a lot of friends who are moms and uh, just naturally they'll sort of be, you know, venting or just asking and not really thinking that I might have an answer, especially those who don't really know me super well. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, what about this? And they're like, what? <laughs> Why do you know that? <laughs> well, I think that's the cool thing about Montessori though, is it's not just a teacher training that deals with like a certain approach to academics or like those kinds of concepts. This is like a philosophy for life in general and how to raise a whole human being and which goes way outside of just classroom lessons. So it is going to be something that's going to keep coming back to you, especially if you do anything at all that involves being around children and honestly even can shape how you just interact with other adults. If you just take the whole principles of respect and observation and so many things that can apply to every human being and not just children. I do have a question for you, Melissa, because you were a Montessori child and grew up in a Montessori school and had that type of education. Do you, did you realize that the way you were raised and the kind of school you were going to was different than maybe some of your friends or other people in your community? Did you notice a difference between the way that your mom kind of raised you and seeing the other way that other children were being raised? Great question. I did not really know the difference, I think, until... I've not really reflected upon this, so I'm trying to think. Because my brother's six years older than I am, and he did not stay in Montessori as long as I did. And then I think because I, I saw him in the public school system while I was still in Montessori, that's maybe when I started to see some of it. But otherwise, I was very much, my community was in that school, and my friends were in that school, and it's all I knew, and I loved it, and I I knew no different at all. So where I did know for sure was when I moved to public school, of course. I was like, what? <laughs> what is this? Uh, it was, you know, I'm super adaptable. I always say that's one of my number one, I think, just sort of gifts that I 
I'm able to roll with whatever comes my way, which I'm very grateful for. And so I think I noticed that it was different, but also, I mean, I was 12 years old. So really how much are you reflecting at that point? The main thing I know I remember is that I was ahead in like far ahead in math. I was doing trig when I was like 11 and I was super ahead in math. And then when I got to seventh grade, I don't even remember what you're doing. Definitely algebra and possibly some geometry stuff. And I was like, you probably could have put me in 10th grade math and I would have thrived, but instead they didn't care to cater to me. So I just literally stayed in the back of the class. And like, do you remember when the calculators had those games? Yeah. That was me. Yeah. You're like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, just because I do hear it a lot about parents who send their children to Montessori schools because they don't all go through the school that Laura and I taught at. It went all the way through high school, but most schools don't do that. They might stop at the end of children's house. They might stop at third grade. They might start, stop at sixth grade. Um, and so a worry that a lot of parents have is if I do this, is it going to be this huge struggle for them to adapt? And it sounds like what you're saying is not only were you so prepared, <laughs> overly prepared, but that you also had this ability to adapt, which I think is a really big part of the Montessori philosophy. And I know that for us, that when we have children that come from public school, one of the hard things for them is to adapt to be able to make their own choices. They kind of look at you like frozen, like, Wait. what do you mean you're not <laughs> going to tell me what to do now? Yeah. And all day. And it's almost, yeah, they're like, frozen with this freedom that they're not used to getting. And so I think it's interesting to hear your perspective because I think that's a fear for a lot of parents because that's not always an option to be able to go all the way through being Montessori. Yeah. And I think it's, I can understand why it would be a concern. And I think the way that you just described it was perfect. I do think that it's much easier for a Montessori child to go out into the wild, wild world of public school or whatever it is that you, wherever you choose to put them versus the other way. And I think another thing, uh, my ability to interact, and I think this, you know, this certainly is partially also has to do with the personality of the child and et cetera, but my ability to interact with my teachers at a higher level was very noticeable. Yeah. Megan, one of my first years at that school, I worked with um, someone else in in the room who had a son who went to that school. But at that time, the school stopped at ninth grade. And so he went off to a different high school. And she was sharing like how she had been really concerned about this transition. And it was funny because she met with one of his teachers at one point and he said, oh, he came, this kid came from a Montessori school, right? And she was like, yeah, how did you know? And he said, because the kids we get from Montessori schools make eye contact with us. Like they're not Mm. intimidated by the adults. They're not afraid of them. They expect a mutual respect and they show a respect. And I think that's because the guides, you that's part of your job is to be a a guide and a respectful person in, in that child's life that um, doesn't make them afraid of this authority figure or afraid to speak up, afraid to raise your hand, afraid to do any of the things that a lot of us were just like terrified to do in the traditional setting. Yeah. Just sit in the back and don't say anything. Okay. Um, Yeah. So we haven't really talked about grace and courtesy yet on the show, but 
you being children's house trained, can you explain a little bit what Laura's talking about, about that eye contact and that ability to um, connect with other people and what part of the Montessori philosophy, where that comes from? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would love to do that. And the other piece I wanted to just quick, because it's related to what we were just saying is, I remember when I learned in my training, the reason for the three-year cycle. I mean, there's multiple reasons for the three-year cycle, but one that really resonated that I was like, oh, I never, don't think it had ever been explained to me that logically was basically where else in life do you, are, are you always around the exact same age of people going at the exact same pace as everybody yeah. around you? And the answer is yeah. never, 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 never is never. that the case, except for in a structured school system that, you know, that we've grown accustomed to in, in public school or, or whatever. So I thought that was so cool to consider how, how it really mirrors real life. And, and of course, in the three to six, one of my favorite ways to explain to people what the purpose is and how it plays out is that, you know, by age, you can even see it in a four-year-old, but definitely by five and six, those kids you don't even have to ask them They're They take the leadership role and they're taking the three-year-olds under their wing and teaching them how to tie their shoes and helping them with this material. And they do that naturally because children don't need to be told how to do something. They mirror what they see in behavior, especially at that age. So when they see that that's what an older larger honestly it's it's very tangible at that age oh that taller human who clearly you know, i'm supposed to listen to is helping do this i'm bigger than them i should help them it that's that's as simple as it has to be and then that's what they do and it's it's really cool to see that play out so not everything has to be explicitly taught in fact a lot at that at that at the children's house and toddler a lot of lessons are given almost with no words at all you are literally just showing them what to do. You, just, you, don't t you don't always tell them, you rarely tell them what to do. You always show them what to do. So yeah, I love that too. To my guest etiquette tangenting immediately again. So back to your question about grace and courtesy uh, that I think also ties into the practicality of children's house. But grace and courtesy, I think, is connected to uh, also the core of children's house, which is practical life, which is what we were already talking about, which is literally just learning practical life skills. And grace and courtesy are at the forefront of that. So some examples of that would be when children arrive at our classroom door every morning, we would greet them at the door, shake their hand, good morning, how are you? And we would do it in Spanish also because, you know, it's a nice opportunity. Buenos dias, como estas? And then they would have this, you know, just something fun to do and then learn how to shake hands and make eye contact. That's something important that you do when you greet somebody. And when we have our circle time and we encourage conversation with others, the level of the voice that with which you speak, don't interrupt others when speaking. These things that are really just kind of common sense, but are courtesy that you don't see happening every day. Um, during, you know, snack time, cleaning up after yourself, even helping a friend when you just see that they need help. Um, those things as simple as chewing with your mouth closed and like little things that, you know, what I've noted in a public school system is unfortunately there's too much going on and not enough 
not enough eyes. And so, so much of this falls by the wayside. And there's such a focus on like testing and scores and making sure you're reaching an exact, you know, bar. And so that's where the focus for the teacher is rather than approaching the children as a whole human. It's like we're approaching them as this getting to the next step, if you will, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think there's a lot working against the teachers in the traditional settings. There's a lot of reasons it ends up accidentally being that way. And that's not to speak of every teacher, right? But it is a sad uh, cycle that gets perpetuated is these kids really just all they have to do is do well on these tests because if they do well on the tests, then we get more government funding and the cycle just continues. And, you know, all the all the parents want to know about is are they doing well on the test? They don't really care if they're learning you know, conflict resolution skills or how to identify their emotions and work through them. And that's all part of a Montessori curriculum, the curriculum, not like the bonus stuff we're doing for fun at recess because we have a minute that is part of what's going on in the classroom and recess and lunch and everywhere all day. I love the, the aspect of children's house, especially, but definitely all the way through is like you said, that practicality of it. And that there's an emphasis on it, but not because, not just not just to do it, but because it really does, when you talk about educating the whole child, it helps in all of these different ways. So when we see, we've talked about this before, when we see a child maybe setting up for snack, there are other benefits that also aid in maybe academics, like being able to follow a multiple step process, being able to do something from left to right, which is we're going to learn how to write that way and read that way. And so I think that when maybe people get concerned that there's too much emphasis on like wiping tables or setting tables or shaking hands, that they're like, there's so much importance in this and it it's a big umbrella that touches everything, but mostly it shows kids how to be humans and how to, how to exist in the world. And it's so, so important. And like you said, I feel like it really goes by the wayside in a lot of other schools, not because the teachers don't want to, or don't know how, but like you said, they're so overworked. They're so they're giving, given such few resources, but in the Montessori classroom, that is a really, really important part of it. And it's so fun to watch those children's house kids set up their little snacks and <laughs> it's so sweet and wash their little tables and do things that so many parents think they could never do. Totally. And I think, you know, part of Maria Montessori's genius, and I truly do believe that that woman was, you know, epitome of just, of, of genius. Preach. Preach, amen, <laughs> testify. <laughs> was her sensitive periods. And so what, you know, when you say, Megan, that, that, you know, parents or whomever think, okay, there's too much focus on this or whatever. You know, when a three-year-old comes into the classroom every day for two weeks straight and just wants to do the same material for the first hour of their day until they absolutely perfect it and then they're done with it, that's not because the teacher guided them to do that. That's because they wanted to do that. And there's a reason because their fine motor skills needed to use tweezers to pick up, 
you know, 20 beads and put them onto a plate and put them back or because they weren't going to give up until they could tie their shoes or whatever it is. And that's, if that's intrinsically, and that's what's so beautiful, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it so much. I love this philosophy. That's what's so beautiful about it is we as, as teachers, and I'm not even a teacher, but you know, we are the guides. You're there to observe. And that was one of the main things I, I knew I wanted to touch on today, which is the power and importance of observation. We're just supposed to be there to observe the child and say, and, and let me just say we as adults, as a caretaker, as a guide in any child's life, as a parent, doesn't matter. If you just zoom out a little bit and remove yourself and treat your child, a child, all people, but the little humans who we underestimate every day, if you just treat them as a whole human, observe what they're interested in, what they're doing, and then guide from that place instead of the place of they're this age, so they're supposed to have hit this milestone. Or, you know, you, you've got to have a well-rounded education or whatever. And so we've got to make sure we do this amount of this and this amount of that and that amount of that. And we're not done until you've done those things. Uh, and, and instead, just treat each child individually and let them do what feels right that's where you really then start to see the snowball effect of them gaining confidence in themselves and gaining a true love of learning. And that's really at the core of it all. That's all, that's all Maria Montessori wanted. She wanted children to love learning. A couple key things that have come out of your mouth that I want to circle back to, especially after you made that comment of, okay, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a teacher. She's like religiously taking no serious. <laughs> I keep muting my microphone so I don't have to edit out all of the freaking typing sounds. Okay. Um, you mentioned not being a teacher. So you were like, oh, you know, a little bit disclaimer there. I don't feel that way at all. I feel like you absolutely have a place at this table. Even if you never had spent that year in the classroom, even just for like what a hardcore, like truly Montessorian you are. So to Megan's point about these things not just being things you learned about as an adult in classes like I did. I was not raised in the Montessori philosophy. Of course, it all, again, was like, well, yeah, duh, when I learned it, right? But I had to learn it. You were raised in it. So you just made a couple of um, or a couple of the things that you mentioned loving the most boil down to like the intrinsic motivation that a child truly is able to develop when they're allowed to go through a Montessori setting. I feel like that's a huge part of you and what you are doing now, which we haven't even covered yet. Which, but, and I, I think the thing is, it's, it's tempting to avoid covering what you're doing right now because it's not being a Montessori teacher. Um, but I cannot help but firmly believe that it is exactly because of your Montessori upbringing that you are doing what you're doing now, which you can, you know, get into more detail. But like, long story short, she's like a badass businesswoman, entrepreneur, like just owns her own everything. She's just like conquering the world. She primarily is an amazing photographer. So intrinsic motivation, right? You had to have a whole lot of that to branch out and start from literally nothing to building up a business that supports your life and allows you to follow your dreams. Doing what feels right, you said, was like a great takeaway for a Montessori child, learning that, learning what that even is in you. You just said like, you know, I was in a classroom for a year. That was great. I loved it. But I'm like, I just knew that wasn't the place for me to settle yet. Like that wasn't where I was ready to land. That's a thing that a lot of adults struggle with. And I can say from Laura and I, who grew up not in the Montessori, um, in a Montessori school or a Montessori house, we are 
constantly struggling with not necessarily, especially in our careers, being able to follow our gut. <laughs> like we talk about that all the time. I feel like that comes so much more naturally to you. And then prime third and possibly most importantly for a freaking photographer, the love and the understanding of the power of observation. I feel like all of those things 100,000% play into what you do now. So tell me a little bit about that. So first of all, can I just start with the irony that you said I'm good at observing because we know that actually my visual okay. observation yeah. skills are subpar. <laughs> and that's... You are not only legally blind for real, you are actually the least observant human being in so many aspects, including like, I won't even, I'm not even going to get into the examples, Melissa, because we will be here all night. There are so many times in my life with Melissa, I've been like, really? You didn't you don't realize what, that this thing is this? It doesn't matter. The, I mean, when you have a lens in front of your face and you are understanding how to capture like that moment that like, that just stomach twisting roller coaster of emotions every time I look at this picture for the rest of my life because it is the perfect moment moment that is the kind of stuff that you produce by the way in case I haven't told you lately and that has to come from understanding and your style completely is you sit back you let things unfold you make a couple suggestions but you don't stage anything and you truly capture genuine moments I feel like that has to do with your understanding of observation. Instead of being like, hey, everybody get together and do this because that'll make a great picture. You're like, well, let me just watch for a little while and see what makes a great picture. You're absolutely right. And I can't even say it better than you just did. So thank you for that. Oh, great. That Good. Good. Moving on. We're done. <laughs> My work here is done. Uh, no, that, 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 was, that was a beautiful way to say it. And I think, and I think you hit the nail on the head. So I'll, I'll move on to the, the other piece of it, which... I actually was thinking about this question before we got on the call because I was like, you know, really, how does it play out in my daily life that I was raised in the way that I was, which is so different than others? And the first thing that came to mind really was my ability to be pretty clear on what I like and what is worth my time to do and also what I'm good at. But I'm I'm able to hone in pretty quickly on what my gut is telling me to do. And I sometimes I question it, of course I'm human, but for the most part, I'm able to just roll with that with the confidence that I know I'm gonna be able to do it because that's what I've been doing my whole life. I've been given the freedom to choose what what I wanna do based on what my gut tells me I wanna do, and then I go for it. And then if I, turns out I was wrong and I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to, or I wasn't as, you know, good, quote unquote, whatever that means at it as I wanted to be, then I feel very adept at pivoting and trying something different. And, and I think so often I get into conversations with people who are stuck in a rut in a job that they hate, stuck doing a thing that they're doing because they studied that thing or because they got the job when they were, you know, young and then they couldn't find anything else and they just now they feel like they what else could they possibly do whereas I joke often that I'm going to be like that 95 year old woman selling poorly made pottery out of the back of my pickup truck on like some <laughs> weird like rundown <laughs> beach in Guatemala or something because it'll be on my 94th career because I 
I'll never stop doing what my heart tells me to do. And partially, I do believe that's who I am. And, and we won't talk about astrology on this podcast. We can when we, can when we wrap up. <laughs> but as far as, uh, as far as Montessori goes, I do truly believe that being given the freedom to do what one truly feels called to do, which is what you do every day in the classroom. Uh, you're, you're given freedom and you have to understand that there's responsibility expected that, that you have and you're expected to fulfill certain things, but you are given freedom. And, and then you also know that there are consequences. And so I, I've just really carried that into my life. And I, and I, I can't think of them all off the top of my head right now. Maybe y'all can. I know I'm pretty certain that both of the Google CEOs were Montessorians. Uh, there's a handful of well-known, very successful entrepreneurs who were Montessorians and, uh, or I should say are, I guess, you know, I don't think you ever stopped being one, I guess. But uh, I also am thinking of this one study I read once, I think while I was training, that I don't remember where they did it, but it was, they took like a group of, I want to say maybe it was a dozen, maybe it was more, I don't remember exactly, but Montessori students, I think they were high school or early like college age. And then they took the same amount from, you know, public school traditional system. And they basically like let them loose in a chemistry lab, or I don't remember exactly what the parameters were, but they were like, go forth and here's what you need to do. And this is, or create whatever the goal was. And to your point that you sort of mentioned earlier, Laura, the Montessori children were like kids in a candy store. They're running around excited to create this thing and figure out how to do it. Whereas the other cohort was like deer in headlights, like, wait, but where are my instructions? What do I do? And that's, I thought that was a really powerful example. I saw this post recently and it just like clicked in my head because this is so true as to what you're saying. And it was saying that, you know, 18 year olds, as soon as they graduate, are expected to choose a career, start a life when a month ago they were had to ask to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's this like such this structure around the public school system and then you're just set free. And it's like, wait, what? but what do I do? But what do I do? Like, I, okay, I kind of know because I memorized these algebraic equations, but like, how does that help me make decisions and connect with people and advocate for myself? And like, I don't know, but I know that mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I just like, am getting goosebumps with the way that you're talking about this because you know, we have children and we are working so hard to make sure that they have this education and this upbringing. And it's so cool to hear your perspective and be like, this is what, this is the people that we're trying to create. These are the adults that we're trying to create. So that's really cool. I don't even, I can't, I can't even get started on the whole 18 years old. You're supposed to know what you want to do. And that's a whole nother topic for another day so yeah your prefrontal cortex is not even done yet good luck in the world anyway um I think I like came into this with a couple of questions that we almost kind of have stuck to the last one of them is that okay so at this point we've covered that you're not actively teaching 
Um, which of the important components of the Montessori philosophy do you feel like you still do actively apply to your line of work? Like, what does that look like now? Yeah, so, well, a couple things come to mind. Something else just came to mind about observation, so I'll, I'll wrap that up, which is, so f- I'm a photographer, yes, and I own a photography business, yes. But I always say I, I don't define myself as a photographer. I'm certainly a creative in many different ways, but I'm, I really, if I had to define myself more so what I, I feel more connected to as a title or whatever, which we love labeling things. I'm like, can't label me, but is definitely entrepreneur. I mean, I just, I love, I, I love the opportunity to lead things. I love the opportunity to create things and I like doing multiple things. And so I think that it just falls a little more under that. And photography just happens to be the, the first business that I, that I created for myself. And so, but I, what, it's a service-based business. And I also do a lot of work uh, in, in other areas of life. I've got some little side things that I do that all involve customer service. And I always did customer service and sales. And I will say that as I have grown and been very intentional in my desire to be the best communicator that I can be and to respect everybody where they are and have conversations that leave people in their greatness. That's, you know, I, I have, I've been told in my life that I have a strong personality. When I was younger, I think I had, I didn't maybe feel like I had the tools to know how to rein that in. I didn't even really know what that meant, but it was at some point in my leadership career. So Laura and I actually met when we worked at Best Buy together, which feels like eight lifetimes ago. Seriously. Um, I, I learned that it was very easy to have difficult conversations with people, or sometimes even they didn't necessarily need to be difficult, but sort of more leadership managerial conversations that that weren't fun, that that people could get easily offended. And not that you're responsible for people's reactions all the time, of course, uh, but I found, I have found over the years that finding a way to connect with people in a way that makes them feel good and leaves you feeling good is important. And so in order to do that, I've had to observe a lot. I observe the way I communicate, the reactions on people's faces when I say things, um, it, the level, the volume at which I speak, the words that I use. I, I try to zoom out. I, I use that term a lot when I'm speaking with people. And I'm like, all right, well, let's zoom out a little bit. And really, if you if you could just zoom out and look at any aspect of your life, all you're doing is observing. That's what that is. And I do that all the time. I really try to all the time make intentional observations and then make my next move strategically based on what I've observed. So I literally use it every single day in my relationships, in, you know, how I treat my cats, I, like literally <laughs> everything I, I use observation. And so I will say in my work, because I'm working with many different personalities, multiple people at a time, uh, very often, you know, especially like we shoot weddings on a wedding day, you know, you're around sometimes 200 people for an, for the better part of a day. And you've got a very important job and you've got to be managing a million things at once, um, observing each person and how you should then interact with them is an important piece of what I do. So there's that. And then just real quick, the story about the shoot last week. So I, we had a photo session last week with a multi-generational family. It's like my favorite sessions to do. So it was 18 people, three different families, four technically, all together visiting grandma from out of states. And um, they had a, one of the families had a 
seven-month-old, two-year-old, or almost, I think, maybe just newly three, and a six-year-old, and so bless, right? And <laughs> six-year-old, totally fine. Seven-month-old was super smiley, and the three-year-old was very nervous. And of of course, she's very nervous. There's me and my husband, Matt. So we're two people who she doesn't know. We had our videographer there also. We've got these cameras in our hands. There's hullabaloo. Everybody's all dressed nicely and go, go here, do this. I mean, like sensory overload. <laughs> You're at the beach and there's other people all around. And so she was nervous. And, you know, parents get in photography in particular, the first thing a parent says when their kid gets nervous is, I'll give you a donut if you smile. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken Megan's this. like sold. I'm going to smile more right now. <laughs> Megan loves a donut. Pregnant Megan loves a donut. That's true. I'm thinking of pregnant, pregnant Megan. Megan. Like regular Megan, it's fine. Sure, maybe. <laughs> but pregnant Megan needs the donut. Like what kind of donut? A though? maple donut. Mm. Yeah. Like why? Maple I don't every know, time. but I needed, I needed maple donuts in my life. That sounds delicious. <laughs> Um, anyway, go on. Bribing so, children with donuts. Yes, bribing children with donuts. And uh, and then, so so this little girl, she's got like this toy phone in her hand. So th- th- I've got this challenge that, A, I have to get her to trust me somehow to get in the, she doesn't even want to be in the photo. And then two, ideally, you don't have, you know, a bright pink plastic phone in your family photo that's supposed to hang on your wall forever more. So, you know, how am I going to get that out of her hand? And so I'm, you know, I get down to her level and I start talking to her and her mom's like next to me, very sweet lady. And she's like, it's, it's not, it's fine. She's just, she's done. I'm like, I'm like, we've been here for like five minutes. She better not be done. I'm like, we have, you know, just give, give me a second. And this comes in handy so many times, honestly, sometimes with adults too, is the power of giving choice, which we, mm, we, we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So would you like mom to take that phone or would you like me to hold your phone? Um, versus just, yeah, I'll give you the phone back in a little bit, you know, and then also observing, you know, looking in her eyes and smiling and really gauging, is she actually freaking out? Is this a little bit of a fake? Is it just like a little mask over it? Is she really nervous? You know, and you can feel that and that you do that by observing and treating each being as their own person and respecting and honoring where they are. Uh, And I think I told you this, Laura, which was on, I don't know, one of your first episodes. I think it was Rachel Wright was telling the story about her. Is it her son? Her son at a family gathering. Yeah. And being worried about the older generations respecting him. Right. Wanting to like pinch his cheeks and whatever. And it's so often, like I was with a client today and her granddaughter came over and she was like, say hi to Melly, give her a hug. I'm like, don't, please don't give me a hug. (laughs) You don't, you don't know who I'm a stranger. Please don't hug me. Uh, That's up to you. Um, And that's just something, it's interesting. It's a generational thing. And and I think this comes up very often in, uh, and and this is a whole nother conversation, but just like breaking generational cycles. I, I think that, comes up a lot. And it's like, just because something was done this way for your grandparents and your great grandparents and your parents, there were shifts there along the way that changed. And so you're just, you know, there are shifts that we continue to learn and that I think are, are worthwhile making, especially when it comes to dealing with small children. Yeah. I think that's probably honestly, secretly a big part of the reason that people are hesitant and like resistant to the idea of Montessori is that for generations and generations, we have not 
you've not known about this method, not here in the U.S. We, when we did Maria Montessori's backstory, we talked about what happened there and how it was kind of sabotaged and fizzled out in other countries. It's a household name, but over here, it feels like a new concept. And so you do come up against that, like, well, but if this other thing was good enough for me and my mom, my grandma and my great, great grandma, then it's good enough for my kid. And like, we turned out okay. So this should be fine. This should be fine to do to her. And it's just kind of like, sadly, probably part of the resistance and hesitation to even hear out what this method is all about and how people are looking for something to be freaked out about. Like you talked a lot about having freedom. And I can imagine people are like, oh, that sounds like my kid would just that if my kid had the freedom to choose, they would just like roll on the floor all day. Yeah, that's not really an option, though. It's a freedom and a framework like you still had to accomplish tasks and meet academic benchmarks along the way. But you had a lot more say in how you did that. And there's so much more trust like in the adults who are putting their trust in these children that we do, that we know that they have the potential to choose. We know that they can make good choices. We know that they can do far more than most people would give them credit for. And a lot of that is the trust that we have in who they are. And I think it's a disservice to say, oh, to just assume my child would never, my child could never. It's just... They could. Did you ever let them? Yeah. Did you let them try? Yeah. Let them try and also kind of guide them through it, and you know, put some parameters around it. Because I bet they could be more successful than you think. Um, I just, I also one thing came to mind real quick. You were, you know, as I said before, at the core of the goal of Montessori's philosophy was to foster a love of learning in the child, and a main way that you do that is by way of building up their self-confidence. And that's why routine is so important. And that's why if you walk into a Montessori classroom, everything is the size for the child. You know, we as adults are actually like aliens in the classroom. Nothing is really our size. You walk into a Montessori classroom and, and the teacher is either sitting on the floor or they're sitting in a child sized chair. Teeny tiny chair with their knees <laughs> in their face. <laughs> Every time. Um, and, and that is with a teeny tiny apron on uh, <laughs> sometimes. And so I think that's especially to your point, Megan, when parents say like, my child would never do that or they don't or whatever. Yeah. You, Often and most of the time, 99% of the time, your house is not set up that way. Their living environment does not is not conducive to them doing that. Oh, and by the way, they're not surrounded by 18, 19 peers who are at their level all doing similar things. And I think that the, I, I just want to say one more thing to anybody who's questioning this and, and because I've spent my entire life, I mean, I have always had the first thing people say, or a very common reaction to Montessori is, oh, isn't that the school? I think one of you said it in like the first episode, isn't that the school where you just do whatever you want? Like, yeah, that, no, it's not, <laughs> not quite. Um, so I, I just always say, go observe find an accredited Montessori school. That's one thing that's a little bit of a pain is that since Montessori is not really patented exactly. per se, yep. you know, you could slap Montessori on the outside of any building and walk in and it wouldn't be legit, but you can tell from like a website, of course, if it, if it is. And I always say, just go. And any, also any true Montessori school will invite you to come observe. They'll be happy to have you sit there and they'll have parameters for it. They'll say, you know, that is not your environment. That's the children's environment. You may go in and you, there will be a limit. You may go in for no longer than 30 minutes and look around and see what you think. And uh, that 
I, there's nothing. I mean, I've never had somebody walk out of an experience like that and not be like, what? That was amazing. Especially the yeah. three to six. Including me, dude. That's exactly how it happened for me is your mom was actively teaching in her classroom three to six and then you needed extra hands for an apple picking field trip and she hit you up and was like Melly come help me pick apples and you were like Laura we're going to pick apples and I was like I mean I like kids it's cool this was years before I was teaching you invited me along and I was like okay what 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 age is this is like kindergarten you were like well kind of it's it's more than just kindergarten it's like ages three through six and I was like well I'm sorry what we have like toddlers and like almost first graders like this sounds crazy and I walked into her classroom I had never seen a Montessori classroom in my life and I was like I'm never leaving here like it was the coolest space she had that remember she had like a like a loft fort situation I don't know it's hazy now because it was a thousand years ago when we were young and full of life but um it was so cool and then we and I you know got to see them a little bit doing their works which I had no idea even what was happening but I just it was so chill and they, they were so sweet and super well behaved and very respectful and then we went out to the orchard and I was like hey here comes the real chaos like bring it on because you know I've been around lots of small kids at the same time many times in my life and I just did not expect it to be half as smooth as it was and that wasn't even like a formal observation that was just like hanging out for the day going apple picking um, which should in theory be the worst time to observe right because it's not necessarily the normal routine it's not the normal structure that they're used to they're such a young age this should be very disorienting and jarring and they should be bouncing off the walls and they weren't and I was like what is this witchcraft and why have I never <laughs> heard of it before? Um, and then long story short, I dedicated my life to it. But um, we will we will circle back to more episodes with you where we can get into all of this because it's occurring to me that we're we're coming up on on our cap and we haven't even done our confessions yet. So let's yep. Yep, yep, yep. let's pivot. Let's 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 do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's lighten things up to finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. Melissa, you said you have one. Let's hear it. Laura's going to be so happy about I'm my so excited right now. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm one of those people who's like, if, if there is not a purpose behind what I am doing, then it is not worth it. I, tr I try to give myself some grace and have some relaxed time. So, uh, but one thing that I don't normally do is play games on my phone. I try not to. I just use my phone as a tool and, you know, for messaging. And, but every once in a while, something happens where I just go to the app store and download like three or four five games <laughs> i don't know what happened <laughs> you black out and all these the games weirdest thing <laughs> just to try them out you know and um i don't need them nope not at all i can stop anytime i want <laughs> I, i'm also a grown-up so what am i doing and you know so whatever it's fine i downloaded like three different games this week one ugh, one was called cats and soup dumbest game i played for like <laughs> two games and i was what? Like, really Melissa? hold on hold on hold on hold on, hold on. <laughs> what now i need to know what on earth would one do with cats 
and soup it's li- in a cake. It's literally little cats making soup, and then you like. Get- oh, they're making the <laughs> yeah, soup. Yeah, they're making. They're, making the, the they're stirring okay. it, and then depending on what ingredients go in it, you get more coins. Well, Melissa, I'm not really sure what part of the title "Cats and Soup" didn't set you up for success there. How did you not know that was going to be the dumbest? friggin game ever I what are the other ones that it was cats eating soup well they, they actually don't eat it you you know when you tap the soup that's you eating it in that moment it's very unsatisfying so to be frank cats are making you soup yep, you, you yeah. got it don't eat that don't eat that cat soup you know there's hairballs there's like litter rocks in there don't freaking touch that soup melissa delete that game what okay. else are you playing this is making me so happy so in all seriousness, Wordle and Quartle are my two current favorite games, which that's like a huge trend right now. And I don't know how long it's been a trend, but I only learned about it like 20 days ago. I know that because I have a current streak going. Um, so Not that she's keeping track. Nope. Well, hey, it tells me after I play the game. But but Laura, you know how good I am at word games. So uh, I don't know. Neither of you play either of those games, I assume. I've done a couple of rounds of Wordle yeah. for funsies. So anyway, Wordle, you only get one word a day, which I was like, this is good because I'll get it done in like five minutes max. And then I, it's not like I'm stuck, you know, playing the game obsessively. So I thought that was going to be a good thing, uh, which it has. It's it's fine. Quartal, you're playing four words at once. It's pretty intense. Um, and then the last one is one of those cooking games, you know, when you have to like serve the diners who are coming in. And I got to be honest, it's a little challenging and I'm, but I'm like really good at it. So, but I, I have to stop you guys because <laughs> I, I, I my own horn, but I'm pretty good at it. It's really challenging. I'm pretty good at it because I'm a genius. It's fine. Um, I just, I just have to wrap the confession up because I know we're already over time, but Laura, I just thought you'd be proud because I want to share that for those of you who don't know, Laura was a film major back in her college days prior to Montessori. And she used me as an actress in many of her films. And one of them was back when Farmville was a big thing. Oh my God. Yes. And she made an entire film about my obsession with Farmville and how it was unacceptable. So that's why I thought, wow. Where can we find this video? It was a, it was a mockumentary in the style of the show intervention Mm -hmm. Uh and Melissa's friend, were coming together to do something about her scary level of commitment to the game Farmville. <laughs> Probably one of my finest works yet. That was um, good. Okay, back to my previous question. Where can we find this? <laughs> Dude. Um, God, I don't know. I think about sometimes that's one of those like middle of the night I need to be sleeping thoughts that will pop into my head is like, where? all of my college projects like where I'm pretty sure they're all on a hard drive because I think that that needs to be the preview to this episode and I think that this episode should be called Farmville and cat soup and people will just be so confused (laughs) I just got a flashback Laura isn't somebody wearing like a lampshade in like on their head in one of the clips. Yeah. So yeah. Oh sure, sure, sure. Why wouldn't you be? Sure, sure, sure. Why wouldn't you wear pieces of furniture in this project? It doesn't. It's okay. Let's move on. Are you, that's are you it. done? That's all about? I have to confess. I feel okay. I feel much better now. If that's the if that's the intention of this portion of the episode. Thank you for this. So I'm just gonna throw it back real quick to the opening story about how I spent Saturday with your munchkin. I was taking Billy so she could do a handful of other stuff that is difficult to do with a toddler to say the least. And also when you already have an 11 month old. So, um, 
she met me at the halfway point, which is about a 45 minute drive. And that means that I had to drive back with this child. And I was like, I don't know. This is all the first time that she was just, just, just with me. No mommy, not even my kid. Um, it was just me and her. She was so you know down that. for it. Like it was, it <laughs> she was, was great. She just like jumped out of my arms like, okay, bye. Yeah, she absolutely was like, I'm going with you now. I live in your house. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, you do. Um, anyway. I had a plan though. I was like, okay, Megan says she loves Encanto. I'm going to play music from Encanto and then she maybe will stop crying if she's scared. Um, And I, even though she was totally cool, I was still like, oh, I've got this playlist, like all ready to go. So let's just, let's go. I've seen that movie once. I put it on one time. My child like a little bit paid attention then kind of went off and did her own thing, which like I'm happy. I'm, I love that about her, but also sometimes I'm like, will you just get obsessed with a movie and sit and watch it like normal children do so I can sit down too but I did a little bit get sucked into this movie and I remember when the song surface pressure came on in the movie the first time I'm ever hearing it I was like that's a dope song like that's actually a really good song I kind of love it never heard it again haven't watched the movie since then that song came on third in this playlist until that song hit I'm fist pumping. We are grooving. And then that song came on and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this song. But I made the terrible mistake of listening to the lyrics and went from fist pumping to weeping openly because, oh my God, did that one strike a chord. And that song, it's the, there's three sisters, right? And she's, Megan, you correct me if I'm I'm wrong. Louisa is the oldest maybe? She and is the second oldest. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I'm for my purposes, she's the oldest. That fits my <laughs> life a little bit better. She's super strong, right? And the whole deal is like, the whole song is like, give it to your sister. She can take it. Just give it to her. Just keep piling it up. Like she'll take all the family, everything. She'll just shoulder it and she'll never break. And I am like, <laughs> give it to your sister. The whole drive. And with my child who's just like, what is that? She was so entertained I meant this is I saved this story for now and I want you to know that when I looked at her in the mirror she was like yeah (laughs) looking back at me in her mirror and she was not at all traumatized so she's like yeah my mom cries in the car all the time (laughs) this is this is our normal car routine um oh my yeah, goodness. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's better than a good car cry listening to just like a really yeah good song that just hits well, you right in the soul? It it took me by surprise. It is not at all what I intended to happen on these first moments together. And she luckily still likes you, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Luckily, your kid was totally cool with my complete emotional breakdown at a Disney song. So <laughs> she's a Montessori kid. Feelings are. He understands, okay. he understands big feelings. Um, <laughs> I love it. So yeah, that's the confession that I've been holding on to since dropping her back with you on Saturday and listening to it like three, four more times on the way back to my house when I didn't even have to entertain a toddler. It was purely for me. Do you feel better? That you got that I do. Thank you. Thanks for letting me. Thanks for letting me get that out, guys. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, and rate. Please do it because <laughs> she's going off script. It's getting desperate fast. Please, Please do, do it. it. <laughs> We're not kidding.
guys. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh my god, I Gosh. forgot that I do this to both of you, so this is just gonna be it's not okay. I'm leaving all of it. We're uh, just gonna have a 45 minute outro <laughs> while you guys collectively gather yourselves and fall apart again. I'm just gonna wipe my tears and finish this like a freaking professional that I am. Um we are did I already say this? <laughs> You stopped with, please, seriously, guys, please. <laughs> please seriously do it. We are available on Spotify, and now you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, play cat soup. <laughs> cats and cats making soup. Cats. Eating soup. <laughs> Cats laying in soup bowls. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>